Hello, welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I'm doing my very first year in review show. I figured it's a thing in the podcast realm, so I should probably do the same thing. So as uh, is normal when I need someone to interview me, I've brought my friend and colleague, Guy Anderson, on the show today to interview me about, uh, or just have a conversation about who I've had on, what's worked, and uh, what's going on in the industry in the last 12 months. And with that, here's my interview with Guy. Hey, Guy. How you doing? Doing well, Jason. How are you? Good, good. Uh, yeah, it's uh, in another year. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe how uh, how fast it's flown by. Really? Because I feel like this is the year that never ends because of, of COVID. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it, it's funny because uh, each day is the same, right? So it, it's uh, you know it's been said many times. This is uh, this is the year of, uh, of Groundhog Days, right? So, totally. But you're up to a hundred and what fifty almost episodes now. So by the time this airs, it will be episode. 154. 154. 154. Yeah. Well, incredible. You've had, uh, my understanding, you're number two in the world in, in the fintech, fintech podcast space. Depends on where you look at it. And uh, in iTunes, it's, uh, it's, I'm still losing to uh, FS11. And, and interestingly enough, the host of that one was supposed to come on my podcast and was in Toronto in April. Guess what happened? <laughs> COVID? <laughs> yes, exactly. That had to be canceled. So I'm going to circle back around with them and, and see if we can get uh, get that going. We're going to do a reciprocal back and forth. But uh, yeah, so Apple, yeah, has on has a, Apple has a particular algorithm in the way they, they track their, their their ratings anyway, don't they? No, it's based on listenership. And, you know, so <laughs> Apple's, yeah, so so I'm, I'm basically number two there. I think Spotify, last I checked, that was number one. Just depends on the, the podcast outlets. Some of them I do incredibly well. Some of the smaller ones, I'm I'm God knows where. But yeah, uh, it's doing well. Well, congratulations all the same, and and congratulations on a successful 2020, uh, notwithstanding COVID and everything else that's happened. So, well, it had an interesting impact because all the cl- all the people I lined up as maybes who were saying maybe I do the podcast back when COVID hit suddenly all said yes, and the next thing I knew, I was booking six months in advance. So, as of right now, this recording, which is just before December, I am booked solid until April. So, yeah, it's uh. Interesting so that's change super of pace. interesting because it shows how much content there is in this space, right? So I think that might be lost on a lot of people that would think of fintech just as, uh, I don't know, uh, just one broad topic, but there's a lot of different subcategories within fintech as well. Oh, I mean, enormous. I mean, we can, when we start talking about trends around the world, uh, subsectors of, of fintech in itself, there's tons of it. And then when you start looking at the number of play, when you look at the number of players in the industry, it's just enormous, right? It, so, I kid you not. I think our, our current quote unquote wait list is actually longer than the number of people we've interviewed at this point. People who've contacted us saying, "I'd love to be on the podcast," and say, "I appreciate that, but I'm not booking until the spring." And I get to start cherry picking, which is nice. But we have a lengthy, lengthy list of possible guests. Fantastic. Okay, so here we are in December 2020. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. into. 154 episodes now let's let's take a look back at the year 2020 so what are some of the most memorable podcasts that you've uh that you've hosted uh interviewees or, or companies that you've interviewed don't ask me to pick my favorite child honestly like, let's <laughs> not do that but let's look at i'll talk about what people liked and resonated so um you know last year's winner of the most listened to podcast was no surprise episode 100 with Michael Kitsis, which actually still is in, which was actually, I think almost in the top 10 for, <laughs> for 2020 as well. But this year's winner of the crown is Dr. Daniel Crosby of Tulip and Brinker Capital. That was a fantastic interview uh, where we talked about applications of behavioral finance into technology as a means of creating better client outcomes. And no surprise there with his reputation and being a multiple best-selling New York Times 
author. He was he was a compelling conversation and a compelling platform that we're looking at. So no surprise there. And then other other really high performers. Um, we had Apprise Labs. Uh, no surprise there as well with Edmund Walters. When when you when you're the founder of eMoney and you're on your second go, people are kind of curious as to what you're up to. Speaking of second goes, we had a really good showing with the group from Conquest Planning in Canada because again, original team from Navaplan uh, starting up again. Uh, a lot of people curious about what was going on there. So I think it was also probably the first media outlet to give people a, a peek behind the veil. So that was kind of nice. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of fun one. Oh, actually, this is funny. In the top in the top five is Wealthbar and Snap Projections discussing that merger i think i laughed more in that po- that podcast than i've ever laughed i think my favorite line still goes to favorite story go- goes to uh taya nicola who uh was talking about how back in like 99 or 2000 she had contacted a fund company for inquiring about data feeds and they said yeah no problem and we'll get back to you and she's like oh wow that was easy and then a week later she got a uh, a cd burned with all the client statements in pdf form and i just like no and then that led to the, to the joke of don't, oh yeah, data feed, data feed, no problem. We'll put it in the mail right away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, thought, I remember that episode. I, I remembered incorrectly. I thought it was a dot matrix printed that she said. No, it was a CD. Oh, we, we, no, no, it was a CD. No, the dot matrix, we talk about dot matrix printouts. I mean, yeah. So yeah, there's been a lot of really interesting, compelling conversations this year, I got to say. And I would, I, I, you know, I continue to land some pretty, some pretty established and, and impressive guests. So it's been fun. Yeah, so talking about second goes, are there any companies that you've interviewed that have broadened out their their lineup or have, have advanced their, their technology in, in such a way that you want to have them back on? Yeah, I mean, there's been there's been a couple of uh, changes. I think what will happen is I'm, I'm going to try to, funny you ask that question, because I'm probably going to go back around and look at where some of these people were in the early stages and where they are now, and probably have a couple come back to talk about their story a couple of years later. Not there yet. I've got a lengthy list of people to get through. So, uh, but, but in general, yeah, it's been, it's been interesting to stay in contact with a lot of these people and just see how they're, how they've evolved. Right. I mean, and I've had several guests merge. I've had several guests change companies. They basically go from working for one company, that company gets swallowed up by another one, and they go do a second, a second play at a, at a different one. I've seen several companies come out with second plays. Like I had a really good interview and it was one of the top 20 this year with uh, Samantha Russell for the second time regarding lead pilot, you know, previously on the show over 20, regarding 20 over 10. And for those of you who don't follow her online and who are advisors, you're out of your mind because she is the queen of content marketing and she can teach you everything you need to know about marketing your business. So yeah, there were they were great. And I mean, I'm so, so the answer to your question, not yet. I've had a bunch of kind of second acts already happen, but going back to the originals, I brought them back on specifically for panels, but it's a good idea. And it's one I'm going to explore next year, probably. So we, we talked a bit about how FinTech is this broad defining terminology, but there's all sorts of technologies that might fall under that, under that umbrella of, of FinTech. Can you speak to some of the more exciting technologies that you've seen emerge in the FinTech space? Yeah, it's, um, I kind of keep a mental tally of like, what's the most exciting tech I've seen all year. I will say that last year it was, uh, it was conquest that won that when I saw our artificial intelligence applied to financial planning, that was, that was fantastic. This year, I'd say it's kind of a tie. One is a definitive fintech play back in the artificial intelligence space. I haven't had them on yet, but I just finally connected with FP Alpha of the US and they are throwing artificial intelligence of various other aspects of financial planning, not the plan itself, but things like estate planning, tax planning, whatever else it is. Similar to what Holista Plan's done on the on scan, you know, upload a PDF of your of your tax return and we'll find all the information and, and tell you what to do. They're applying that not just to taxes, but a lot of places. And 
yeah, thoroughly impressed. I've only seen an early version of it, but I'm looking to dive deeper into it. And I have a meeting booked with them to do that. The second one, and this is, I'd say, a more revolutionary technology across the board, but they're targeting finance for the financial industry first is, um, and you introduced me to them uh, as a company called Cinchi that I hope to have on the podcast next year. Now I'm going to say this and people are going to think it's boring as anything. It is a data management system that just breaks all the rules about how data management was happened before. And it literally broke my brain. During the presentation, I had to try to wrap my head around how it worked and how different it was from everything else I'd seen before. I had to like, I was throwing up analogies every 10 minutes, just trying to just trying to understand. And by the time I walked away, I'm like, okay, I need to, I need to sit down for a minute and rethink this. And I think that is a revolutionary way of looking at how data gets managed, which if that, you know, if everything lives up to the, to the hype, which it looks like it does, is going to make the ability for large to even small institutions implement technologies and new technologies so much faster and so much cheaper. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's pretty impressive what they, what they shared with me as well. I mean, I was, I was just getting familiar with data lakes and all, all sorts of other terminology. And they, you know, turned around and said, that's, that's obsolete. And they've moved past data lakes and the speed at which they're able to implement certain things for, for CERB, for example, et cetera. That just the, just the ability that they work with a couple of financial institutions about implementing uh, the processing for CERB, just unbelievable. They were able to do it in, well, I mean, in days as opposed to weeks, apparently. So fascinating. Yeah. And I'll give you, I'll give you just a, just a brief example of what we're talking about. So, Basically, what people don't realize is that when you when you run a program and you have data in it, that's a silo, right? Like it's stuck in that program. Even if it's a super advanced one like Salesforce, like it's still a silo. A data lake is something where what you do is you set up your own server or remote server, whatever it is, and you extract the data from all those places and you put it in one place. And then you let the different applications basically go and connect to that data. So you have one common source of truth. But it's really just a giant dumping ground for, for data that can be structured or unstructured. And it can be expensive to get that data out. That's the challenge. So what Cinchi does is that it eliminates the need for that. And it basically just connects. It's like a layer. It's like an operating system for data that sits over top of all these other applications and all these, other, all these data lakes and all these silos and allows bidirectional communication amongst all of them. And essentially, it's, it's literally created the operating system for data. It's liberated data as a concept from all these things. So it sounds, it's really, ab- it's abstract, but my God, was it impressive. And I'm, I look forward, they're, they're, they're setting me up with a sandbox later that, like next month. I'm looking forward to playing with that. <laughs> okay, so beyond uh, beyond those two, Cinchi, uh, and then you mentioned- uh, FP Alpha? Yeah, yeah. So what other things in FinTech space ex- excite you? And what are you looking forward to in 2021? I think a couple of things. I think, um, and I said this before on the podcast, we went through the crypto hype cycle. I mean, at one point, everyone reaching out to me was a crypto and it was just this nonstop, nonstop cycle. And at that time, it was the promise of crypto. Now we're actually starting to see real applications of, of blockchain. And it's exciting to actually start to see this stuff that has so much promise actually start to deliver and how it's fundamentally changing the way a lot of the underlying pipes work and how much more efficient it is and how... And how much like intelligence you can build into these contracts. It's not like just, I'm not just sending you a piece of data. I'm sending you like this piece of data with the entire rule set attached to it. So like, it's really, again, we're talking, going back to basic fundamental data stuff. Like this is, this is the stuff that's going to enable the super awesome, like slick user-friendly operations that happen on top of them much faster. So all this stuff sounds fundamental, but it's foundational and it allows things to grow so much faster. The other the big trend, and I've, I've, I've gushed over it a couple of times, is the concept of no-code programming, which is, I experimented with a platform called Bubble.io, but I've seen a number of no-code platforms. It's basically the ability to build your own technology without knowing a line of code. Literally, it's like, 
it's hard to explain. It's almost, for anyone who's ever used Squarespace or Wix to build a website, you don't have to know how to use code. You basically say, I want to put this block here. And then all the intelligence for that block, whether it be a picture or a sign-in box or text, it's there. You just, and then you just have to type in what you want it to, you know, what text you want, upload the picture, all that other stuff. That is a no-code platform for websites. And that is, that has made building a website, a beautiful website, so easy. Like, like orders a magnitude easier than it would have been 20 years ago. And we're starting to see that apply to all technology now, no code platforms. The ability to say, okay, I want to build an application for gathering data for clients and then selling them something, whatever it is, right? Like whatever it is, you, whatever you want to dream up, you can literally just, okay, I need to, I need to capture this information, this, this, this one piece of information. Okay, great. Here's the box you're going to type it into. Okay, it's going to be saved as the client's name. It's going to be saved as the client's investment amount. It's going to be saved as this. And then just be able to tie together the entire application without a line of code. Bonkers, bonkers. Like Michael Kitsis often talks about how a lot of the products that exist in the U.S., were homegrowns because an advisor had a problem. They basically learned to code or hired a coder, solved their own problem, turned around, sold it, made a business out of it, and then cashed out in a lot of cases. I look at this as no code as being the that the explosion of homegrown solutions. The reality is, is that we no code has lowered the bar to the point where anyone can learn to build an application with, with no code. And the number of, once you wrap your head around what you can do, the number of problems in your life that you can start to solve with these platforms is just nuts. Like I, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm about 80% done my first little project and I could go into what it was, but it's something specific to my company. And you know, it's going to well, actually all of this. It's basically just creating a certain type of disclosure fee around fees. I'm really big on being able to tell them exactly what they're paying and when, and, and, and there's different fee schedules for employees versus, uh, versus non-employees, all this other stuff. So there's a little bit of complexity, but it was a very simple trial, a, a, you know, a very simple tool to try to see if I could build something from scratch. And I did it. Like I'm about 80% of the way done, which needs a couple, a little bit of cleaning up, but I literally have a system whereby it can, it can, client data goes in, it tracks the fee history that I reported to them before, it produces the disclose, the, ca- the calculations and disclosure forms, like it's, it's done, right? Like it's 80% done, but it's done. And, you know, I look at that and I'm able to say, okay, well, I can also now have this tie into my portfolio management system so that I can click a button, pull that information in, out, and then it will just flow through it and create the form, right? So there's, once you start wrapping your head around what's possible, you start to see that everything that you do that is repetitive and a pain in the butt and requires work can be automated. So the efficiencies to your business would, would be infinite. I mean, it'd be exponential. Well, that's the thing, right? Is that, so again, I'll go back to Michael's comments in the past where he said, would you pay $100 a year for a software that saves you a minute a day? And the only answer is yes, right? Like if you're going to work 200 days a year, that's 200 minutes. That's, you know, that's, what's that worked out to? It's uh, th- three hours and change, right? Three hours, 20 minutes. Three hours and 20 minutes. How much money can you earn in three hours and 20 minutes? Is it more than a hundred bucks? Well, I sure as heck hope so, right? Like in this business, I sure as heck hope that you are working for more than a little over a $15 minimum wage, if that's the level, right? It's probably about 20 something. So the reality is, is that every time you take, this is what people don't get. It's, it's an investment. Every time you take the time to solve a repetitive process and it's automated and streamline it, you've just freed up time. You, it will pay for itself and it will pay for itself for years after that. And then as you do this and you start knocking off one thing at a time, the gains, you're right, are exponential. And the next thing you know, you know, people are always asking me, Jason, how the hell are you doing all this stuff? How are you involved on these boards? How are you involved in advising? How are you doing this podcasting when you still, and you're telling me you still run like 80 households? Like, how do you do this? And it's like, I said, well, first and foremost, don't, don't suck, you know, reality is 
don't think that I do all the work. I have staff I delegate to. That's the first thing. But the second thing is we, I get this thing down to like a systemized process and wherever possible, that process gets automated. I mean, the simplest example I always give is the automation of meeting bookings and confirmations, right? My, my assistant at one point was spending 60% of her time booking, rebooking, confirming meetings for three different advisors. I found that it was that big. And I said, that's the end of it. I've been wait- looking to implement a scheduling software anyway. So let's do that. Implemented a scheduling software, which at the time would have cost over a thousand bucks for the three of us. I've since moved to a cheaper one, which is like now 300 bucks for the three of us for a year. And she spends 10% of her time doing that now because it's only like the seniors who basically just don't use computers that she talks to. But otherwise, it is, it's more efficient. Client gets to look in with one link, with one click, gets to pick whatever t- date and time and format they want, their discretion, Right. All the reminders are taken care of. My staff doesn't have to do a thing. They need to rebook. It is taken care of. Staff doesn't have to do a thing. And that confirmation triggers a bunch of workflows on the back end. So the second that comes in, my staff knows they got to prep for that meeting. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. The, now, it used to be that if an advisor wanted to grow, they would have to hire more staff because there's more men and their team would expand. But what, basically what you're describing is that the efficiencies that FinTech are uh, providing you allow you to grow your business without impacting on the service levels that you can provide each and every one of your family. Correct. And then, you know, the reality is, and again, I feel like I quote Michael Key's gospel, the reality is if you look at the data of the U.S., right, there was the talk of, oh, no, you need to grow in order to basically be able to survive and be profitable. But the reality is, is that that's the opposite has happened. FinTech and affordable technology has come in at such a level that allows, you know, and the Americans are farther ahead on this, and I give you guys credit for it down there, allows an advisor to affordably implement a CRM that you can build your own workflows to make sure that everything's running on rails and, you know, have the scheduling software, automatic rebalancing software, all that other stuff. And the stuff that used to take staff members, like a team of staff of like five people to do, can now probably be done by two in the same amount of time. I estimate that in our practice of six people, that real, realistically, we probably are already saving at least one full-time equivalent body, if not one and a half at this point. So the reality is, and, and there's a number of changes going on in my practice right now that are going to be done, some of them be done in the next three, four months, that frankly are going to free up probably about half a full-time equivalent person's time to work on other things, which is, again, fantastic. And that's only that one project. There's other projects we have on the go that, frankly, once they're done... I really think that there's a possibility that we could double in size with number of advisors and number of clients and maybe add one administrator, right? The one, the one bottleneck is advisors. Like you can't, there's only so many people relationships you can handle and only so many hours in a day if you're talking to human beings. When it comes to the heavy lifting stuff we do, even conquest, the amount of time it takes to produce a plan better than any human being ever could is now like there were some cases, like there was one plan in particular, longest ever spent on a, on a plan. I kid you not, five days, five days to get a plan done. It was that level of complexity. Now, I'm not saying Conquest will, will be able to handle that one, but if the normal plan, which takes average financial planning process in the US is benchmarked at about 10 hours, if that can shave two to three hours off of that process for every plan. Yeah, over the course of the year, that's massive. Do the math. It's incredible. So I'm actually the, and you know this well, I'm the beneficiary of some some technology as well. Like uh, I'm able to open accounts using technology in literally 15 minutes. It's, uh, it's, it's really remarkable because it saves where an advisor used to have to print out you know, 30 to 40 pages, put all the sign here tabs, go drive. Oh, no, you missed this one signature, go back to the client. Exactly. And how much yeah. time does that take and how aggravating is that for the client at the end, end of the day? Well, now I'm able to use digital technology to open accounts and literally I can do that in 15 minutes. And I have done that. And the experience, I think, on the, on the client side is just incredible. Think about how broken the old experience is. Like, think about that, right? They are, every client, I don't care if you're a neophyte, you at least understand that 
you can order anything to your door same day from Amazon. You can get a stranger to show up at your doorstep to drive you somewhere within 15 minutes typically using your phone. I can lock down my house with alarm systems remotely with the push of a button from my phone. Like what is it in this world that requires the level of pain and suffering we used to put people through to open an account? Like just to open an account, like literally, okay, so we're going to open these accounts, you know, get the staff ready. The staff would have to basically prep for three hours to get all the paperwork together. For sure. And then have to spend, we have to go through it and have them sign everything. Then we'd have to go through and quality assure and check everything that was done. And then it would get sent off to somebody else who had to do the exact same thing and then manually input things all over. Like just what an insane upside down world that we're still living in for the majority of experiences. So yeah, the clients are impressed because they're used to the pain of, of, of finance. But here's the thing, they shouldn't be impressed. This should be table stakes, right? So they should just be like, okay, that was easy. That's the only thing they should ever say. And that's what it comes down to. That was easy. I love that. So before we wrap up, I wanted to come back to one of the things you were talking about on blockchain. Do you believe that stock exchanges uh, will ever move to blockchain technology? Yep. And how far out do you think that is? I don't know. I don't know how far. I think, I think the thing is, is that when it comes to systems that have to be resilient, guaranteed resilient, like they cannot fail, a stock exchange is one of them. We're not going to accept it. So I think it needs to, it's not going to be in a learning curve. It's not an early, it's not an early adopter. It's not a fast follower. It's a mature product. So stock exchanges will get to the point where all the different just dealerships will have to basically, or members of the exchange will have to maintain servers and everything else, but it will get there. And when, when you look at, and the reason is because frankly, there's no better solution. There's no better solution. The amount of back office administration for reconciliation that will be eliminated is enormous. The need for three days to settle, gone, right? Like that will be eliminated. The mass proliferation of fractionalized units through a stock exchange, not just through a couple of custodians who figure this out, will become normal, right? So, oh, I want to buy Berkshire Hathaway A-class shares, but I don't have $200,000 to do it. Right. Right, I can buy a fraction. You can buy one eighth, one 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 seventeenth, one 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 hundredth. Who cares? But the point is, it can happen. So, do I think it'll happen? If it is a matter of when, I agree with that. Now, before we before we wrap up, is there anything in the fintech space that excites you going forward that you want to talk that you want to mention before we wrap up? No, I think um, you know. I think a couple things I want to mention. I'm sure. I think. Bill Winterberg was kind enough to come on for episode 150, which will not air, which this is being recorded before that airs. I'm sure he's going to win next year's most listened to podcast, but give that a listen. It gives you a really good understanding of where, where things uh, lay in terms of an advisor being able to grasp these things. I would say also a couple of big things come up in the podcast. I have a five-part series on open banking that is coming up in February, where we look at the open banking experience in Europe, Canada, the U.S., talk to companies who worked in multiple jurisdictions and then kind of have a after show to discuss the entire like, hey man, how crazy was that? Or what was the best or worst of that, right? So that is uh, happening in the month of February. And I sincerely hope that everybody listens to that because that is one of the biggest key pieces, key infrastructural changes happening in the background. It's going to enable so much innovation in the future that once you understand and wrap your head around what's possible, it is exciting. I have a number of other interesting guests coming up that have been recorded. It's a little bit all over the map, but I got to tell you, it's, I think I'll tell you the podcast has matured to the stage where I get to cherry pick. I'm in a privileged position, right? Now it's like, before it was like, oh, you're willing to do this? Great. Uh, Now it's like, you have to be at a certain threshold and I, I will take you on, or it's got to be a compelling enough conversation and I'll take you on. So I'm still open to anyone having, reaching out and having a conversation, but I think in particular, it's, it's, I think I see bigger things in terms of the guests going forward. Well, once again, congratulations. Uh, number one or number two FinTech podcast in the world. Kudos to you, Jason. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks. Take care, guy. Take care.
that was guy interview with myself about the year in review. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. And I hope you, if you didn't listen to the ones I mentioned, please go back and listen because they were fantastic conversations. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And I just want to say again, as always, thank you for listening. I really sincerely appreciate it. Um, I mean, I, at first I thought maybe I'd just be talking to myself for a very long period of time, but clearly this is resonating with many of you. So I appreciate that. As always, until next time, take care, stay safe, and uh, let's have a better 2021 than 2022. <laughs> Take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.